The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link here with Rotowire.com's lead prospect writer, James Anderson. Night one of the MLB first year player draft is in the books, James. And I got to tell you, when we were planning to do this after the draft, I didn't think we'd get recording until after midnight. It is currently 9.38 Central Time. So really a, a breezy first round and a pretty surprising first round as well. Yeah, this was a really memorable night one for many many reasons it it really did fly by there like like you said i mean the picks were just coming in every couple of minutes it seemed especially in the the comp round so um happy happy that we're recording this when we are a lot to talk about but it was uh, was a pretty wild night yeah i thought we'd be here till like 1 2 a.m but it looks like it'll be a pretty early night and then tomorrow we're back at it you and the crew, note by note, real time analysis for every pick through uh, the the five rounds of this year's draft, and uh, we'll just get right into it from tonight's action. Spencer Torkelson, the number one pick, 
Arizona State third baseman. Um, did they come out and say that third base is the the spot they want Torkelson? Yeah, they they announced him as a third baseman. That probably means that they're going to try him there and hope that it works. Uh, I would. I don't think it. I don't think we should waste too much time, like, or anyone should really waste too much time, like, debating, like, third base, first base. It in fantasy, it's not that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think a guy's more valuable if he's a third baseman versus a first baseman. And in fact, I think some people would say mm-hmm. first base is the more scarce position. Uh, who yeah. knows what the case will be three years from now? But yeah, uh, maybe it's all more valuable that. across the diamond. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I mean, either way, he's just he's going to move at the speed of his bat and uh, obviously the best player in this draft, the best fantasy prospect in this draft. I think worst case scenario, he's up in early 2022, but uh, probably debuts sometime next summer, unless they are dead set on manipulating a service time to kind of better align with their competitive window, which obviously won't be opening anytime soon, but he he's going to slot right into my top ten. Uh, slots right to the top of the Tigers uh, rankings. So um, kind of a no brainer pick there at one. Yeah, good job by the Tigers. Hard to mess that one up when you're when Torkelson's on the board and you're picking first. But beyond him, it was kind of up in the air, and we really were thrown for a little bit of a loop right behind Spencer Torkelson with the Baltimore Orioles taking Heston Kierstad, outfielder from Arkansas. Um, I know you had him a little bit lower. It looks like MLB pipeline had him 10 in this class. Um, but yeah, there were some other names in that mix. It it seemed like the Orioles and and Kierstad were not really linked publicly much, at least from what I saw. No, he was one of those names. I mean, it, it didn't make sense at all for them to take a picture at two. Uh, but you know, people thought that, uh, with Michael Elias coming from Houston and the way that the Astros handled the Carlos Correa draft where they got him under slot and then were able to sign uh, Lance McCullers and, and pay him later in the draft, that they might go that route here and take a underslot guy at two so that they could go over slot at 30 and 39. Uh, I said that we should wait to, to fully pass judgment on, on Kierstead at two until we saw what they did at 30. And I got to say, I did not like what they did at 30. Uh, so they, they took Jordan Westberg, uh, who's got tools, but really struggles to get to those tools in games. And, and it's probably already peaked as a runner. So, um, I, you know, I, I know the, the Orioles have a lot of smart people in that front office. Um, I'm admittedly, admittedly lower on Kierstead than a lot of people are. I, I know that he was making better, better swing decisions this spring, but it was a small sample. They didn't play uh, many quality teams this spring. And for a player who had a 21% strikeout rate and like a, what was it? A 7% walk rate as a, uh, as a sophomore. And that just really scares me, uh, especially if you're going to take that guy in the, with the second overall pick, uh, it's just there's there's a lot of red flags there with the approach for me. I I know the power is legit. Um, I, you know I, I think there are some similarities maybe uh, to a guy like Hunter Renfro just in terms of 
for fantasy if you're trying to think about what his final stat lines could look like when he gets to the big leagues. I think the batting average is going to kind of be all over the place in a bad way. I mean, there might be some years where he hits like 265, but I think for the most part, he'll be closer to 250, 240. Not a high OBP guy. That could change, but for, for now, that, that doesn't appear to be a big part of his game. And I mean, he could definitely be a 30 plus homer guy, especially in that park, but did not like the use of resources by the Orioles tonight. Interesting. Yeah. As you wrote in your, your note for the site, a pretty divisive prospect, uh, even with his track record. So, uh, not kind of questionable. I know there are some people who are scratching their heads a little bit. Um, who would you have taken James? If you had the, if you were the Orioles, you were taking, uh, you were picking second here. Who would you have selected? Well, I would have explored the stuff they were exploring in terms of cutting a deal with a guy at two and then overpaying a guy at 30. But if we just assume that, you know, I don't know which guys were cutting which deals, I, I would have take, taken Austin Martin pretty easily. I think that he was the clear second best player in this draft. He can play all over the diamond. The Orioles, the one thing that they are really lacking in is up-the-middle position players, uh, players that are going to provide value with the glove and with the bat. They've got plenty of pitching. They know how to develop pitching. I would not have gotten pitcher there. But to me, passing on Austin Martin, you know, if you have Adley Rutschman and Austin Martin, you're about halfway there to building your offensive core. Like, that's those are two guys that are probably going to be at least four win players in their peak years. I just don't understand what why why that wasn't more appealing to them. And if they had gone with Kierstad and then um, you know maybe someone like Isaiah Green at thirty, uh, a guy with a bit more upside, um, maybe I could I could defend the the Kierstad pick a bit more, but. Jordan Westberg's not even going to be ranked on my top 400, so um, I just I didn't like the the, the plan of attack really. Um, Austin Martin was right there for them, and I think that that that's something they're probably going to regret. Yeah, Austin Martin falling all the way to five, which is pretty surprising. Pretty nice windfall for the Blue Jays. You know, if they get Austin Martin up with an infield of Vlad, Bo Bichette, and maybe you know Kevin Biggio, that'd be pretty nice. Um, but yeah, in between Kierstad, Kierstad and uh, Martin were Max Meyer to the Marlins at number three and Asa Lacey, Asa Lacey um, at four to the Kansas City Royals. What did you think of Meyer going ahead of Lacey? Was that a pretty big surprise to you or did you kind of, you know, you, you kind of hear rumblings that, that that could happen? I knew that there were teams that liked Meyer more than Lacey. Uh and I, I applaud the Marlins for trusting their board and trusting their evaluation and going with Meyer. I mean, Meyer's fastball-slider combo are better than Lacey's fastball-slider combo. And the, you know, for both guys, those are their two best pitches, fastball-slider. Lacey's probably got a better changeup. Lacey's a six-four lefty, whereas Meyer's a, a six-foot righty. But... You know, you just watch Myers fastball slider. I mean, you can definitely dream on frontline upside there. So I, I applaud them for sticking to their board um, when it came to Meyer versus Lacey. I 
again, though, I would have taken Austin Martin there. The Like the Orioles, the Marlins uh, really don't need to worry about pitching, in my opinion. They, they're really good at developing it. They have really good pitching prospects in the minors. They have good young pitchers in the majors. The one thing they don't have is up the middle position players, and Martin was sitting right there for them at three. So, you know, they might be right about Meyer over Lacey, but I just don't know why three teams, in my opinion, had to overthink this one and pass on Martin. Uh, I think the Royals probably have the most defensible uh, pick uh, taking someone over Martin because, um, you know, Lacey, you know, if he's a frontline lefty that could headline, I mean, the, the Royals could have one of the best rotations in baseball in like three or four years. And it could they could all be guys that are under the age of like 27. So I get it there a little bit more, especially when you have Bobby Witt and Adalberto Mondesi like already kind of coming up. Um, but still, I mean, Austin Martin, second best player on the board, should not have been there at five for the Blue Jays. Yeah, I know. Well, I think it was Craig Mish tweeted that the Marlins view Max Myers, a guy who can rise pretty quickly. Uh, maybe even if ex- they're expanded rosters, maybe even this year. I think he suggested. I don't think that's you know, probable, but it does sound like they expect him to be up and contributing. Maybe they just gave the edge in terms of readiness to Meyer. Um, well, Meyer, Meyer could definitely be a guy like, um, you know, like David Price or like uh, Chris Sale, guys that broke in mm-hmm. in the bullpen. I mean, just just the fastball slider, he could get big big hitters out today. Yeah. Uh, I think Lacey could probably get big league hitters on today then too. Um, but I, I mean, I get it. Like if you want to have Meyer come up, get his feet wet in the bullpen, I think that makes a lot of sense. So right behind Austin Martin, Emerson Hancock uh, to the Seattle Mariners, Nick Gonzalez to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the first prep player off the board, Robert Hassel. Um, I know you like Veen, Zach Veen, a little bit more. He went right behind Hassel, uh, number nine to the Rockies. Um, but it seemed like Hassel was kind of the uh, pretty good bet to be the first prep player off the board. Uh, and imagine Veen's dynasty stock is taken off with uh, Colorado looking like his future home. Yeah, I think it's. I think the hype has already kind of gone a little too far in that direction, though. I think people have already started saying they would take Zach Veen over Nick Gonzalez for dynasty. I strongly disagree with that uh i remember what like five six years ago people were i guess it would have been five years ago people were uh you know super super excited that the rockies took brendan rogers um you know prep hitter yeah, a guy that. that had even more hype in that draft than zach bean did in this one and here we are five years later we're still waiting for brendan rogers to do something uh, Nick Gonzalez and could get to the big leagues in a couple years. And I mean, he could have been worth nine or 10 wins above replacement by the time Zach Bean debuts. So, uh, to me, Gonzalez is just way, way, way more safe than Zach Bean. And I don't even think there's a huge gap between those two when it comes to upside. So I think it's a pretty big overreaction to take the high school guy over the proven college hitter who we've been talking about for months as a top three hitter in this draft, just because the high school guy went to Colorado. 
Yeah, I think that's well put. And we heard some rumors heading into the draft that maybe the Angels were going to do something weird at 10. Maybe they're going to punt the draft or something. They ended up taking Reed Detmers, which is very much not a, a punt pick, right? No, and I think it's pretty clear. Like, you could see Artie Moreno is probably like, hey, all right, fine. We won't punt the pick. There's going to be too much of, of a backlash if we do that. But you better take someone that is going to be able to help the big league team ASAP. And I think that's what they did in Detmers. I mean, he could be another guy where I I wouldn't be surprised if he got a a tiny taste of the majors sooner than later. Um, I mean, he could even break in as a reliever if they wanted to because he's got the the fastball-curveball combo. But realistically, I think he's just a very, very safe number three starter. Uh, People hate on Detmer's velocity understandably I mean he he can sometimes dip into the 80s with his fastball but uh, really good uh, movement on that pitch it it tunnels really well with his curveball I mean he was able to dominate college hitters even even without that that extreme velocity Um, so I think I think that's a little bit overblown not everyone can make it work uh, throwing low 90s but I think he is the type of guy that can just given his command and uh, pitchability and competitiveness. So I think he's going to be uh, a quick guy to, to get to Anaheim. Nice. And right behind Reed Detmers at 11, the White Sox took Garrett Crochet. And James, leading up to the draft, you know, on this show and on SiriusXM Fantasy, we have been previewing the draft. I don't know if we talked much about Garrett Crochet. Maybe we did briefly, but uh, I don't remember much. What can you tell us about Garrett Crochet and his skill set? Um, well, there's the the very lazy... Uh, Chris Sale comps that I even lazily put into my analysis, but I I warned, you know, I mentioned Chris Sale because six six lefty, you know, yeah. three quarter arm slot, big fastball, big slider, um, relief risk. I mean, there's he just he kind of checks all the boxes if you were just looking for a prep or an amateur player to to compare to Chris Sale. Obviously, I'm not suggesting he's going to become Chris Sale, but That'll give Physical you an idea comp, of like, you know, that'll, that'll give you an idea of what it looks like when he's pitching, right? Mm. Um, I think it's more likely than not that he ends up in relief. Uh, just the, you know, the, the the pitch mix. There's a high upside if it clicks. If he can throw enough strikes, and if the changeup is is a good enough third pitch, then he could be a, a really impressive starter. I mean, he could be a frontline starter but i'm kind of operating under the assumption that he's eventually going to end up in the bullpen we'll see i mean he's he's so big and he's got such a limited track record of starting that i think there's a decent chance that you know when we see him pitch over a full season the walk rate is kind of not where you want to see it but uh, high upside pick by the White Sox. This one was one that a lot of people were all over. I mean, I think Prospects Live was all over this one as well. So not a surprising pick, but not necessarily the guy I would have taken at 11. Uh, I, um, you know, the guy like that who, you know, has that upside, but you, if you had to say today, you'd, you'd bet on him probably being in the bullpen. I don't expect him to slot in too highly on your top 400. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll probably be right in the middle. Uh, he'll probably be around. 200th overall somewhere in that range um he he definitely will he might not even be a top 10 pitcher though from this class and he was the 11th player taken 
yeah, even as the number 11 pick uh, for fantasy dynasty leagues, maybe not even a top 10 guy among pitchers. Uh, right behind him, uh, my Cincinnati Reds took Austin Hendrick out of West Allegheny High School in Pennsylvania. I was, I'm feeling this pick, James, which probably is a bad sign for things to come. Uh, but a lot of power, at least from what you know, I've heard and the batted ball numbers that you cited uh, via perfect game in his player note really got me pretty pretty pumped up. Yeah, this is it's just a, a, a high upside, high risk high school hitter. Uh, could end up being the best power hitter from the prep side in this class. Um, hits left handed, which is nice. He's a, he's a decent athlete. Um, so. He's not just a, a stiff who is is not going to provide any value with his with his legs or with his glove. I mean, he he's not going to be a, a stud in either of those categories. But I mean, he, he could be a fairly well-rounded player. Just it's all going to come down to the hit tool. There was a lot of uh, concerns leading up to the draft of you know is this guy going to make enough contact? High school hitters are a risky bunch already, and so when you've already got some questions about the swing and miss. Um, that's something you got to take seriously, but the Reds are taking a big swing on this one and, uh, it, it definitely could pay off if, if it, if he hits, he's going to be a monster. Yeah. And great American small park. You could do some major damage. I'm hoping so. And by the way, I saw our friend Jenny Butler on Twitter ask kind of, uh, how, how do they get these batted ball numbers, exit velocity on these high school kids? I don't think they have track man data in these parks. I guess I'm just kind of wondering if you can provide any insight on that. Like, do you know how perfect game tracks these for these prep guys? Well, if you go to one of these, uh, if you go to one of these like high school showcase events, like a perfect game event, there's just cameras. There's, there's electronic stuff set up mm-hmm. all over the place. Like it's just like you walked into some sort of weird gamer lounge like there's just non there's just non-stop electronics uh collecting this data i see there's guys holding guns there's guys with cameras mounted all over the place so um it's it's basically you know all these players show up they take bp and then these companies uh get all this this data to work with Interesting. Okay, thanks for you know, providing that info. I wasn't sure, and I imagine maybe some of those perfect game showcases are played in parks with TrackMan stuff, but otherwise just, you know, people doing their, their job, trying to, to bring in equipment and get some information collected on these young players. Uh, so, yeah, good things, at least in terms of batted ball numbers for Austin Hendrick. Right behind him, Patrick Bailey to the San Francisco Giants, a catcher out of North Carolina State. Caused a little bit of an uproar on Twitter because people are thinking, well, they have Joey Bart already in the system, a top catching prospect. Why go after Patrick Bailey? I think at this point, Farhan Zaidi, given his work with the Dodgers and the the Giants, has kind of earned the benefit of the doubt. But were you questioning this one as well? Um, yes, I, I I understand their line of thinking. Um. You know the Dodgers never shied away when back when Farhan was with the Dodgers. They never shied away from from having multiple really good catchers, right? Um, the the thing is Bailey, you know Bailey's best skill is his defensive catching, right? And if if Robo Umps come to the majors, which I, I think they probably will, um, 
by the time Patrick Bailey gets to the majors, then his ability to be a, a good pitch framer is kind of negated. Um, but Farhan also strongly values high OBP guys. That, that that was a big thing with the Dodgers. And Bailey has always posted really impressive walk rates. He's got at least above average power. So I could see a scenario where Bailey and Joey Bart are basically always in the lineup. And by that time, the DH might be in the NL as well. So we might have Robo and the DH in the NL, which yeah, changes a lot of stuff. That's really important um, to note because adding the DH to the NL would clear up a lot of these questions. Right. So I, I think the idea would be that you're going to have them both in the lineup almost every day. And one will be catching, one will be DHing or playing first base. And it gives you, like, your second catcher then, theoretically, all of a sudden is better than some team's first catchers, and that gives you a bit of an edge. Um, I don't, like, Bailey, I would have rather taken Dylan Dingler there. I would have rather taken Austin Wells there. Maybe even Tyler Soderstrom on the prep side, so... It's not about the fact that they took a catcher. It's about the fact that they took this catcher that has me a little lower on. Right behind him, Texas Rangers take Justin Foscue out of Mississippi State. You're kind of guy, James, a second base prospect. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kid, I kid. But um, what can you tell us about Foscue, another guy who I don't think we've talked about much in our shows leading up to this? Yeah, he's he's kind of boring. Um, he he reminds me a little bit of their pick last year, Josh Young, where you're just kind of you're hoping for above average to plus hit, above average to plus power, and you know you just hope that the bat kind of carries the profile. He's he's definitely maxed up physically. He's limited to second base, and you know maybe he could play third base in a pinch, but not not a ton of imagination with this pick. Um, I think the the Rangers, you know, they used to back when AJ Preller, especially, was still um, part of the the brain trust there. They used to always take these really toolsy high school hitters, guys like Nick Williams and and like Bubba Thompson and stuff. And I think they just kept whiffing on those guys. Uh, they there were a couple other guys, Eric Jenkins. I mean, they whiffed on a lot of toolsy high school hitters and i think that they've kind of pivoted to uh, safer college guys but i think they've like gone too far in that direction where they're just taking guys who realistically like is justin foscue ever going to be a four win player in a season like i don't know um maybe he's a two and a half win player three win player uh just seems like with the 14th overall pick to me the amount of talent on the board i'm just going to be aiming a little bit higher there yeah, very interesting. I saw, um, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Paul Spore, our friend uh, Paul at Spore on Twitter, said that O'Dowd on the on the broadcast comped Foskey to Logan Forsyth. So maybe a a <laughs> rare realistic comp that we can aim for. That's, that's it's not sexy. Uh, that's sadly accurate <laughs> and uh, kind of an indictment. Hey, Forsyth had one good year. <laughs> uh, behind him, though, up behind Foscue, Mick Abel to the 
Philadelphia Phillies. Then Ed Howard finally comes off the board to the Chicago Cubs at 16. I know he was, what, like fifth on your board? He was very high. And I was hoping maybe he'd slip a little, a little bit further, but the Cubs got a windfall here. A pretty good landing spot for him because he's from the area. And uh, I'm pulling for Ed Howard. I wish as a Reds fan that he had gone to another club. To be yeah, honest. I sent off uh, a couple angry texts after uh, <laughs> after after this pick. Uh, not only because Ed Howard went to the Cubs, who I dislike, uh, but because you know four picks later the Brewers are picking, and I you know I, I don't necessarily think the Brewers would have taken Ed Howard at twenty. Um, so, but but still, I, I did not like seeing seeing him go to the Cubs. I uh, love pretty much everything about his game. I think he's just vastly underrated. Like, if I were the Orioles and I was going to just be dead set on taking an underslack guy at two, I'd rather take Ed Howard than, than Heston Kierstead. You know, wow. he's, he's a no-doubt shortstop. He's going to stick there for his entire career. I think he's going to hit for average. I think he's going to hit for power. I mean, I think his upside is something along the lines of, like, the good version of Carlos Correa, where it's just a, a high average... A uh, ton of thump and uh, really good defensive shortstop. Yeah, that's pretty appealing skill set there. Can you maybe provide some insight into why maybe other teams don't view him like you do? Like, what is it about him that maybe leads some teams to be a little more skeptical? Uh, he's a high school hitter who was a Midwest guy who teams didn't get a lot of looks at yeah. this spring, and so. There's there's definitely a movement in the draft away from high school players. Uh, it's just it's a very risky subset. A lot of teams would prefer to try to get a player like Ed Howard in the international market, where they can sign them um, for for quite a bit less than first round money in in many cases. Uh, it's just you know, the bust rate on high school hitters is high. That's why I would caution people about assuming that Zach Bean's just going to be a monster now because he's a Rocky. Um, to me, though, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a cowardly way to approach the draft. Like, if you're staring at a guy who's by far the best shortstop prospect in the draft, in my opinion, um, your, your scouts should have gotten looks on him. You know, the, the general manager probably didn't get live looks on him that's that's probably the, the issue right if, if you're the general manager in a lot of cases you want it to have your seal of approval on the first round pick and so it, it takes you know you have to trust the the people working under you and you have to trust their evaluations on guys that you didn't get a chance to see mm-hmm. and maybe with uh the cubs being based in Chicago, maybe they were able to get more looks on him than, than other teams were. But, um, yeah, I just, I feel strongly he shouldn't have fallen this far. I understand uh, why teams shy away from high school hitters, especially ones from cold weather States, but I think it was a mistake. Yeah. In this case, it seems like, yeah, maybe you, uh, you go out on a little bit of a limb and take a chance on this guy because yeah, it does seem like you're playing scared a little bit. If you like some of these other names like Foscue and, and some of these other types who went ahead of him. We'll see. Time will tell. But I do think that uh, passing on a guy like that is going to 
be a regret for a lot of those teams earlier in the first round. Uh, James, ahead of the draft, you write up ahead of time about, what, 40 players and their full player notes. Nick York was not one of those you wrote up. I think it, MLB Pipeline had him you know, 150-ish range. Uh, Eric Longenhagen had him even lower. So Nick York, a surprise pick by the Red Sox, very much a surprise. And he's another guy limited to second base already, as, and that's as a high schooler. And it doesn't seem like – well, it sounds like they expect to sign him, but it doesn't sound like anybody who's going to really be an impact player in the big leagues. Am I right about that? You know, I mean, he could be like he. So I don't think that they took Nick York at 17 because they thought he was the best player on the board. Yeah, I think that they took him there. Like, I think it might have been Long and Hagen that tweeted this. Um, their plan, it seems, in this draft, this five round draft, is that by taking Nick York with their first round selection, uh, in each ensuing round, they're basically going to have close to the most money that they can offer any player in that round, uh, assuming they cut a low enough deal with York. So that kind of gives them the hammer. Uh, tonight, I'm sure they're going to be on the phone with uh, lots of players' representatives and sort of saying, hey, we have this number for you here. Other teams are not going to have this much to give you. Um, so ask for this. If they don't give it to you, we'll give it to you, that type of thing. So it kind of puts them in a position of power uh, throughout the rest of the draft. But, yeah, I mean, Nick York's probably not a first-round caliber player. But, I mean, he, he does have a fantasy-friendly game. Like, I mean, his hit tool is his best tool. There's a chance that he could develop uh, – average above average power so i mean he, he's not a nothing he's not a total scrub but i think the plan here is more about what they're going to be able to do in rounds two through five than about making sure they landed nick york in the first round yeah that's pretty interesting i know that you know they said that they do expect to sign him and they think he could be special but it does seem like yeah alternative factors at play in really driving this decision more so than just on-field talent and skill um Right behind him, Bryce Jarvis out of Duke to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Pete Crow Armstrong to the Mets. Then your Milwaukee Brewers taking Garrett Mitchell, outfielder out of UCLA. Did you like that pick? Anybody that you were really kind of you know, hoping the Brewers would take with this this 20th overall pick? Uh, I like the pick. I mean, I didn't think Mitchell was going to be there at 20. I don't think the Brewers thought he was going to be there at 20. Um, I'm honestly kind of surprised that he was. He's a guy that, like, this is just the perfect landing spot for him because the one thing in his game that he needs to adjust is his swing plane. Uh, right now, he shows plus raw power in batting practice, and he can show plus raw power when a pitcher throws him a mistake that he that he can load up for, but for the most part, he's he's kind of a singles hitter right now, or or at least he just he kind of dumps the ball in the outfield, lets his speed do the work, he'll get a double, get a triple, if he gets into the gaps. And the Brewers are a team that I think is is well equipped to adjust his swing plane to allow him to get to that plus drop power in games, and he's already going to be a, a really good defensive center fielder. 
got a big arm. He's, he's a 70 grade runner. So there's just all kinds of tools to work with here. It's just about making sure you can extract them. So I think it's a pretty good landing spot. Nice. And behind him, Jordan Walker to St. Louis. And I think you were doing something with maybe our buddy Chris Welsh. I don't know exactly who you're talking to, but I, I got I overheard your, you say that you weren't in love with this Jordan Walker pick by the Cardinals. No, to me, to me, he was more of kind of a comp round guy. If you're going to take him, maybe even an early second round guy, maybe that wouldn't have been enough money to um, get him to sign. But gosh, there's just so much talent on the board here at 21. I mean, you have Cade Cavalli, um, Chris McMahon, who didn't even get picked tonight, Nick Bitsko, just all kinds of arms that have just really high ceilings, in my opinion. The Cardinals are obviously great at developing uh, pitching. They're not, they're just not great at developing uh, toolsy but unrefined position players, which is what Walker is. Like, they just, they haven't been able to do that. Um, so I, I just, it seemed kind of like an out of character pick for them. Obviously they must really like him. They must think he's going to hit. The big question with Walker is, is he going to hit? I mean, the power is, is almost top of the scale. He's got a monster arm. He can play third base or right field. Uh, But I think there are a lot of concerns about whether or not he's going to hit enough to get to his power in games. Um, So I would have, I would have probably gone with a college arm there if I were the Cardinals. I send the, Washington Nationals take Cade Cavalli right behind him. A pretty big power righty, kind of in line with what their, you know, their MO and what Mike Rizzo likes to do, correct? Yeah, yeah, this is a very Nationals pick. The the only way it could have been more of a Nationals pick is if Cavalli was uh, recovering from Tommy John surgery. <laughs> hey, maybe maybe not too far off. You know? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, yeah, maybe they know something we don't know. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, I thought that made sense and really right on the dot when it came to his uh, MLB pipeline ranking 22 and then he goes with the 22nd pick. Uh, Right behind him, Carson Tucker, little brother of Cole Tucker of the Pirates. What can you tell us about Tucker? I know you were kind of looking at him as maybe a riser up boards in the weeks leading up to today. Yeah, he's a really fun uh, shortstop prospect. He's all of his tools have reportedly been ticking up this spring. Uh, adjusted his swing, I think, last fall uh, to get more loft. It had been a really a flat swing plane. Supposedly, he's he's kind of fixed that. And supposedly, he's getting faster as well. I think he was like a 50, 55-grade runner uh, back in the summer. And now he's reportedly been uh, clocking plus run times. He's going to definitely be able to stick at shortstop. So really solid pick. I mean, this is kind of higher than I think a lot of people thought he would go, but I think it's right around where he should have gone. So I thought that was a good pick by the Indians. The Rays follow that pick with Nick Bitsko. Then the Braves take Jared Schuster, big lefty out of Wake Forest. Then Tyler Soderstrom, catcher uh, to the A's. And then Aaron Sabato, to the Minnesota Twins, and I was as I was reviewing his note that you wrote when it went up to the site. Sounds like he's pretty much already a DH. Is that right? I think so. I I don't think we need to sugarcoat it. I mean, if you watch the battle play, I mean he's a he's a twenty grade athlete already. Uh, 
below average defender at third base and that you know might, might be being generous um yeah i i'm lower on sabato i know that th- this is one where everyone loves to just say like well it's fantasy like we don't we don't care about that i mean if he hits his ceiling then sure he could be like a 260 hitter with like a 370 obp who hits 35 bombs sometimes 40 bombs i mean that's all within the realm of possibility but if he falls just a little bit shy of that i just don't know how you get him in the lineup because he's he's just he's going to be such a disaster defensively and they've already got miguel sano they've got trevor larnock like they've got guys that are already bottom of the defensive scale type of guys who are better than sabato so mm-hmm. Um, the twins have had a lot of success going after position players in the draft. They've, you know, their first round track record, you could stack up with anyone's over the last three or four years. But this one, I mean, I look at the guy that went right after Sabato, Austin Wells. He's just a better hitter. He's a He's got a significantly better hit tool. Uh, the power, You'd probably give Sabato the the edge and raw power, but Wells has better bat speed. Sabato Sabato's more about strength than bat speed, and I hate that. Like I hate when a hitter is just muscling balls out mm-hmm. because when you get up against the best arms in the world, that typically means you just can't catch up to it. Like you yeah. you know it's coming and you swing through it. Um, I I would have taken Austin Wells over Aaron Sabato all day every day. Uh. Yeah, again, the Twins have a have a really good resume of, of taking hitters in this range, especially college guys. But uh, I just I scratch my head at that one. Yeah, and Wells, what about his abilities behind the plate? Yeah, so he um, he's not a good defensive catcher, and he doesn't have a great arm. So even ro- Robo Lumps coming isn't necessarily going to save him. I think the move is to just move him to left field. Um, you could you could catch him some if you want. Like if you want to kind of treat him as like your third catcher, that's fine. But I would just let his bat carry him to the show. I mean, I think he's going to be a plus hitter with plus power. He's going to debut inside my top one hundred. He's one of like eight or nine guys that are going to do that. If you want to pick twenty eight, his left handed swing is going to be perfect for Yankee Stadium. I just think this was a a really nice pick by the Yankees, which is not something I've said about a lot of their recent first round picks. But I thought this one was was one of the gets of the the night. So with a guy like Patrick Bailey and then Soderstrom and Wells, the three catchers taken, and I'm get, kind of getting the sense that the the belief that the robo op, robo umps are coming kind of informed these picks a little bit. Do you think? MLB front offices are operating with that assumption that in five to ten years that will be what we see in Major League Baseball. Yeah, you know, to to some extent, yes. Um, with with Wells, I think the the Yankees were just like, this is by far the best hitter available. Mm-hmm. We're gonna find a place for his bat. With Soderstrom, I think the A's kind of said the same thing, like. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him to third base or a corner outfield spot in the near future, just just so that his back can get in the lineup. Um, the more you know, we 
can skip around just quickly. Like the Rockies taking Drew Romo in the comp round makes zero sense to me because one of his best tools is his pitch framing and he's got a plus arm. So like having a plus arm is still going to be valuable if there's robo lumps, but Romo is not a good hitter. He's just not, he's just not going to provide value with the bat and to take a defense first catcher in this era just doesn't make any sense to me, especially in that range and especially from the high school ranks. Yeah, that's interesting. I I wasn't sure, you know, if that was already kind of in the minds of these GMs, but uh, maybe something that they're considering at least. And I I know, I think the KBO is doing that in their minor league, uh, league all of next year. So we'll see if, uh, what kind of success that has, what the implications are uh, with the robo-umps. I think the game will be changed a little bit, so we'll see what the effect is on the game. Bobby Miller, right-hander out of Louisville, he rounds out the first round of the Dodgers. Dodgers, another team that kind of gets the benefit of the doubt a lot of times, but what did you make of this Bobby Miller pick here to end round one? Uh, <laughs> kind of... Um... Yeah, it's so kind of cliche, uh, but you know, I I feel like the Dodgers are probably going to find a way to to maximize him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a appeal to authority, but they they're just proven it time and time again. And he's he's a guy where his delivery is kind of messy, uh, so they're going to probably clean that up. And I think they're probably going to have him throw more four seamers than sinkers going forward um, through a bunch of sinkers in college. I, I doubt that they'll go with that approach for him in pro ball. But, yeah, Dodgers taking Bobby Miller. I mean, the Rays taking Nick Bitsko, that's just I, – I wonder if the Orioles thought they had a way to buy Bitsko down to 30 because – just from a pure talent and upside, like a, a real life talent and upside standpoint, I mean, they can make a case that Bitsko is like a top ten guy in this draft. So the Rays getting him at twenty four is pretty insane. I did see something on Twitter just as we've been talking uh, that the Orioles were hoping to get an arm here, but the the pitchers they liked were off the board. Maybe Bitsko was uh, head of that class. Yeah, no, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, I still think they should have taken my guy Chris McMahon uh, at 30. But, yeah, I, the Westberg pick, it just I, – I have a hard time believing that that was like a – something they were hoping to walk away from the draft with with, with him at 30. And then uh, behind Jordan Westberg in the comp round tonight, Carmen Mladzinski out of South Carolina – Nick Lofton to the Kansas City Royals, Slade Ciccone to the Diamondbacks, Justin Lang to the San Diego Padres, then Drew Romo, who you mentioned, catcher to the Colorado Rockies, Tanner Burns, then Alika Williams rounds out the comp round here tonight. I know you kind of liked Slade Ciccone. Were you surprised to see him slip this far, or did you kind of expect that MLB teams would value him a little bit uh, less than you did? Uh you know, I, I thought that his range was probably like 20 to 35. So, yeah, this is probably towards the lower end of his range. Um, I Yeah, he's my favorite pick of this comp round pretty easily. I, I think he's got pretty clear number two upside. Really athletic, 
six four, two nineteen. Um, really just loose, you know, fastball explodes out of his hand. Um, chance for a, a plus breaking ball, and uh, he's gonna have to work on the changeup. I mean, he he's got to work on his consistency, but to you know, Ciccone to me is almost kind of like a high end high school arm. Like he's there's a lot of projecting that goes into his evaluation for me, but it it's big time projection. Like you, you can project for, for a really good pitcher here if it all comes together for him. And then Tanner Burns to the Indians was another one of my favorite picks. I mean, I, I disliked every pick in this, in this comp round other than Ciccone and Burns. So, um, yeah, I thought the Indians did really well. I thought the Diamondbacks did really well. And those two teams uh, have typically done really well in the acquisition of amateur players over the last uh, couple of years. So not surprising. So Chris McMahon was one guy who you were surprised to see not taken tonight. Anybody else that you expected to hear their name called or you're a little uh, you know, questioning the decision by these teams not to take? Uh, the other... So there's two more big ones. Well, let's go. Let's do so. The big four, I guess, that I'm surprised. Not necessarily surprised, I guess, but just I think they should have been taken. Uh, you mentioned Chris McMahon, righty from Miami. Uh, he's going to be a guy that I rank in my top 150. I, you know, I, I just I don't understand it. I mean, I, I see a number two starter there. Um, we'll see. Uh, Isaiah Green, one of the more toolsy players in the entire draft. Uh, one of the, he might be the only guy where you could legitimately dream on like 30, 30 if he hits, he's, he's a little raw, but he has been a big riser over the past like eight, nine months. And he's someone who I, I think that's a guy that, you know, like the Red Sox, uh, Teams that saved money on day one, Isaiah Green's the type of guy that you, you offer him a lot of money uh, to sign on day two. Uh, Dylan Dingler, who I mentioned, he's kind of like the prototype for if we have robo-umps because he has a cannon of an arm. And offensively, I think he, he could be like a, a cleanup hitter or number five hitter. He's also a really good uh, athlete, he could play some outfield if you wanted him to. So, Dingler's probably the guy I'm most surprised is still on the board. And then Mason Wynn, um, my, my guy, uh, interested to see where he goes in day two. So, th- those are the four guys that I'm not necessarily surprised they're out there, but they're guys who I don't think should still be out there. Awesome, man. Well, I really can't recommend checking out James's notes for every draft pick taken tonight rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial. James and the crew back for tomorrow, day two. Every player taken will have a note up on the site. And James, you and I are going to be talking, really elaborating a lot on the draft on Farm Friday on SiriusXM, Fantasy Sports Radio on Friday. So definitely check that out if you want more draft content. I imagine we'll be talking more about it too on this show next week, maybe where uh, these guys are officially slotting into your top 400. Uh, but great stuff. Anything else you want to mention before we sign off for the night? Nah, man, this was a lot of fun. Um, really enjoyed doing this with you yeah. and uh, looking forward to uh, Farm Friday to, to get even more in depth on these guys. Yeah, that should be fun. That'll be 
I always get the times messed up, but it's uh, 11 to 1 Eastern. I think I have that right this time on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. And then we'll be back on Saturday as well talking, I'm sure, some of this. Um, so have some guests on as well. But looking forward to that, James. I hope you'll join us. Talk to you next week on the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.